Yo, 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 let me strike up all you. You don't know. everybody welcome to the first ever episode of the strike up podcast my name is ted goslin i am the editor-in-chief of pen magazine a publication for the steel pen industry it's online this pod- podcast will effectively just discuss the latest trends innovations and stand-up moments of the steel pen industry with of course an eye on the future and in the hopes that we continue to progress the art form the podcast goal initially will be you know we'll have in-depth discussions on various topics, including the history of the steel pan, instrument standardization um, in terms of design, building, tuning, whatnot. And then of course the panorama carnival season and and its future, uh, women in steel pan and a whole lot more. At this time, I'd like to introduce my co-host for this episode and in general for the podcast, Sachelle Thomas, who is the managing editor of Pan Magazine. Sachelle. Hi everyone. I'm Sachelle. So basically this podcast it's going to alter between hosts. So one time I'll host, another time Ted would host, and sometimes both of us would come together to host, especially if we have topics where we invite guests, such as notable experts in the steel pan industry. In this episode, we'll be speaking about the current state of steel pan. And to start us off, Ted is going to take us through who we are and why we are doing this. So um, first off, you know, as I mentioned, I'm Ted Goslin, editor-in-chief and publisher of Pen Magazine. And I started the publication in 2014 with the intent of providing basically a d- different journalistic perspective um, on the steel pen medium and its culture. I'd seen other publications, which are, you know, they do a fantastic job in the goals and the audience that they reach. But what I wasn't seeing as a journalist was kind of more in-depth feature articles and, and you know, coverage of various types of topics in more of a magazine way, which is why it's called Pen Magazine, even there is no physical magazine. It is a magazine format online. Initially, we did have news articles, but I decided to switch away from that and just focus more on what's called feature articles, which are profiles of individuals, bands, events, and such that are of the most importance to any reader of Steel Pan that want to know. We've done Q&As, we've done panorama articles, uh, told from my perspective of attending as a first-time attendee and and kind of what to expect, coverage of special kind of events and bands that have maybe made trips to visit with other bands. For instance, there was a steel band from Trinidad that went to Mexico and that kind of cross-cultural experience and, and so forth. So uh, effectively, the goal of the publication is to provide that kind of in-depth coverage from educational and informational perspectives from a cultural and emotional level to tap into what is so special about the instrument and and what gathers us to it and draws us all to it. We've also interviewed some of the top minds in Steel Pan um, on on the publication from the late Ken Professor Fillmore and Cliff Alexis to modern contemporaries like Andre White and uh, pen builder Augustus Peters. So there's all kinds of names um, that we've brought in to discuss pen and, and help us um, get a better understanding of it through the publication. But in terms of the reason why we wanted to start this podcast, I will let Sachelle dive into that to explain further. So the reason that we are starting this podcast is to continue that mission by expanding to a different medium and reaching different audiences. Given the popularity of podcasts and the lower number of podcasts available for Steel Pan, we felt that it was important to start this and make the effort to contribute to Steel Pan in our own unique way. We are very excited about tackling important subjects and hope to hear from you along the way to help guide our direction as we move forward. Now on to our first topic. 
All right. So our first topic is about the current state of steel pen. What I find fascinating is just how far steel pen has come since uh, less than a hundred years of its existence. And in terms of, you know, who's gotten involved with it, its place in pop culture, its place in the world uh, as, as an instrument, what kind of genres it's been used within and, and how it's impacted people in different cultures um, and really brought people together in a way that I would say, arguably other instruments haven't done. You know, you could, you could argue, of course, you know, there are instruments like the piano, the guitar, uh, the violin, which transcend genres, of course, um, but they've had a lot longer of a time period to do that within. And, and to become associated and known with different genres and even be, being called different instruments within those genres. For instance, the violin being called the fiddle in like bluegrass music and, and country music. In a way, Steel Pan has had that as well because it's called, uh, at least in, in the United States and I, in probably a couple of other countries, it's known as a steel drum. You know, when you say Steel Pan, people might not necessarily know what that means right away. So that's the kind of thing you have to educate people on and keep them informed about. So using it in different contexts along with different genres is important. But in terms of, you know, the countries that it's also seen and expanded to, I think one of the cool things about Pan is that there's never been a feeling of we only want to keep this in one place and and not allow anyone else to have it. The idea that I've gotten from the Pan community at large is uh, people want to, you know, from Trinidad and, and from, uh, you know, the Caribbean island chain where Pan has been really prevalent. They want to expand and show people the instrument and take it places and, and teach people in other countries and have allow those countries to have their own experiences with the Pan. But at the same time, there's an understanding that, hey, don't forget where it came from. I think it's important of any instrument especially one that is as young as a steel pan. So knowing the, the culture and history and having that as a starting point, I think is a very common thing um, you see in other countries. You see soca music and cal calypso music being played in you know Sweden, Norway, uh, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and the U.S., of course, largely, you know, its growth has been attributed, I would say, to the on the academic level at colleges and universities, high schools, middle schools, even elementary schools, and then even community bands. Basically, uh, the PAN is used as a teaching tool, which is very effective, especially for music theory, where, you know, when I was starting to play steel PAN, the, uh, my only understanding of music theory was maybe I could play a few notes on the xylophone or I played the timpani, but um, seeing the notes written on the PANs was really a great eye-opening thing because it allowed me to understand oh, this is what a whole tone scale is. This is what fourths and fifths are on the tenor pan. This is what a diminished scale is on the on the guitar pan. So going away from the education level to understanding music theory and then taking it out as an individual instrument for professional musicians to go out and play gigs, either in a band or even a solo, which I do on the side. And, and I know, Sachelle, you do as well. But playing pan, uh, you know, backyard parties and weddings and so forth is a really big thing um, all over the world. And it is a great way to continue onward after your education. And of course, from the crack shot professional pan player that really wants to wet their beak and the hardest music that steel band has to offer, the beautiful thing is that there are plenty of um, professional steel bands uh, and, and festivals um, such as Panorama uh, in, in uh, Trinidad and Tobago, the New York Panorama in Brooklyn, New York, Panel Live in Toronto, and there's the uh, London Panorama. And there's other smaller festivals around the world, but those are opportunities for bands or players to go and join large bands and really test themselves and their abilities and try the hardest music. So I think that's one of the, the great things about Pan is you don't necessarily find the other instruments where, you know, if you have a violin player and they, you know, they can try out for orchestras and stuff, but uh, it's much harder and um, not necessarily <laughs> as fun as you're just sitting down and whatnot. Not to say it's not fun. It's definitely I'm sure it is wonderful. But to me, at least from what you can see from the outside, you see a party. 
of steel pan players just going crazy and having a great time. And, and you know, the community element, meeting people from all around the world, it's amazing. And, and of course, um, those events are put on by larger organizations like Pan Trimbago, the U.S. Association of Steel Bands in Wayetka for, for Brooklyn Panorama. Pan Podium is, is a, is a uh, publication that, that supports. So you have the actual associations and then you have publications that, that support and get the word out about those organizations and, and those events. So Pan Podium, Win Steel Talks. And of course, we, we promote events like that as well. Pan magazine. So I think that kind of covers the wide range of the the world of steel pan and how far it's progressed and you know what you have to to look forward to within it. You know, you can work as an educator, you can go and play in different bands at the college level, high school level, community bands, and then go off on your own, buy your own instrument and and play. But uh what I like to do is is kind of go a little deeper into some of those programs and explanation of what are the, some of the top programs that people can go into if you're interested? And um, I'll let Sachelle go ahead and talk about some of those programs. So Sachelle, over to you. Yeah, so we keep seeing a lot of programs in the high school and college levels, especially starting to take off or continue their success. What a lot of schools like the Humboldt State University in California NYU in New York, the Northern Illinois University, as well as the Academy for the Performing Arts Campus at the University of Trinidad and Tobago. And these are all colleges that are at the forefront of steel pan development. And they're offering up a lot of steel pan centric programs for players to use to start their career paths in steel pan, which you know is really great because it's something that we didn't have before, probably even 10, 20 years ago. Post-college, PAN players can continue with their higher education with the intent of teaching PAN, becoming performing artists in jazz, classical, even pop music. But more than likely, they'll need to combine two things to supplement an income, especially with the environment that we are living in today. Yeah, and and that's, you know, it's, it's such an important thing to understand, at least getting into PAN and music in general, knowing, you know, how you, how you can make a living doing it. And just to ask you a quick question, Sashel, you know, I know that you're looking to continue onward with music and with steel pan. Um, is there anything you'd like to add about your experiences with that and what you hope to achieve in, in your continuation as you enter into college and, and beyond? For me personally, being, you know, from Trinidad and Tobago, where the steel pan is actually from, probably this won't apply for all over the world. But I mean, not everybody may be able to afford to leave the country to pursue higher education. And of course, we do a really great job here in Trinidad and Tobago for PAN players that want to attain their bachelor's. But then as a PAN player, if you want to attain your master's, you have to leave the country because you don't have any master's programs available in Trinidad and Tobago. So I think that's something that we personally as a country need to work on. But it also gives universities outside of Trinidad and Tobago the opportunity to kind of work hand in hand with natives of the country. So I think it would be both beneficial, not only to the university, but to the student pursuing higher level education. You know, I would just like to add that I actually met Sachel, um in Trinidad uh, for Panorama in 2016 when I went down. And I was um, really, she was really nice young. enough. <laughs> yeah, but you were also, <laughs> I mean, I... 
you know, you had very uh, lots of wisdom and knowledge and understanding of Panorama and, and Trinidad and all kinds of things. I basically any question I needed answered, you you were happy to answer. So that was really nice. And part, of course, why I reached out to you to, to be part of Pen Magazine in the podcast. So it's just great to see that Trinidad has such a great education system to to be able to put out people like Sachel. So I just wanted <laughs> to throw that in there. <laughs> But yeah, it is interesting to note that, you know, what you have available to you, depending on where you're from and what kind of path forward you have, you know, so understanding kind of the layout of where to go after each level of completion is very important. As as Sushil mentioned, you know, what you can do basically through the college system. Um, and then outside of that, you can also go the route, say, you know, you get a degree in steel pan studies, which uh, Northern Illinois University offers a degree in steel pan uh-huh. studies. I believe to this day, it's the only, um, oh yeah, the, the dog agreed with me. It's the only <laughs> university in the United States, possibly the world that offers a s- specific degree for steel pan studies. Am I right? You know, that's true. I believe it is. Outside of Trinidad and Tobago, possibly. Okay. You know, effectively, if you wanted to get a degree in that or just or in any other kind of discipline in music, like the educational side of you know, ethnomusicology or something specific, you could do that. But then there's also the route of entrepreneurship. If you wanted to go into business for yourself as a music director with Steel Pan, a lot of people or not a lot necessarily, but I've known plenty of people that have actually started their own community steel bands. Um, it's a thing over in Morgantown, West Virginia, where they've started a variety of different bands from a variety of different people who are kind of all um, disciples of the late, great Ailey Minette, one of the you know inventors in chief and, and innovators of the steel pan as a builder, educator, and composer, arranger, just an all around person who, who taught generations of people how to create and teach and play the steel pan. So um, there are groups over there doing that. There's individuals all throughout the world that have their own community steel bands that they've started and they take out into the community and they bring people in that are either have no experience in music whatsoever or have a little bit just enough to to come in and some bands do the classic teaching by rote method of no sheet music whatsoever just teaching by hand and showing people how to play one part at a time or they bring in sheet music and and work that way but either way there's opportunity in that where if a person decided they wanted to go and create their own community steel band of course they'd have to have the, the instruments they'd have to have a facility to teach in and then a business model. I know at one point um, after high school, I, I was part of something like that. I was a part of different groups, but one of them was a band called Rusty Steel Band, which which for for, for older people, this is kind of a joke, a play on words, but it was a great group that lasted for many years. Unfortunately, it's it's no longer around, but it was a fantastic place for people that had, uh, you know, their varying skill sets to go and play and to develop their skills and to play locally around the community. One of the People that was in charge of that particular band had connections, was a former school district member of the board. And he had a lot of connections all throughout the entire school district and the entire city. So you'd play different city events and such. And that's just a great way to really get exposure. And, you know, to if you wanted to start a band or even to join a band like that, it's a great way to continue on with Steel Pan, even if it's only on the side as like a, you know, a nighttime weekly thing. So um, I thought that was great. And also gives another source of income to builders and tuners who are looking to continue their careers and have more places to to make money. So you have, you know, community bands, of course, all the school bands, and then college bands. And of course, the large bands in countries and um, cities that have big festivals like Panorama. Those are great ways to make income. Of course, um, learning how to tune and build, that's a whole other topic. I feel like the kind of thing we need to discuss separately, but yeah. it's something that, you know, <laughs> it, that's definitely another a place that uh, people can go in and learn and um, continue on the steel pan legacy. Yeah. And I find like these days, there are a lot of young 
tuners and builders coming up probably a couple of years ago me personally i would have been worried about the state of building and tuning pans because when the first generation or the second generation of pan tuners when they cross over then what's going to happen i used to think that we probably wouldn't have anybody to take over but i think as it is now it wouldn't be a problem we have a lot of young men and young women coming up building and you know they have some of them have their own sound. Some of them decided to stick with like an older sound. Perhaps they probably learned from one of the first generation or second generation builders or tutors. So, you know, it's all good. It's all good. You have a lot of things that you could dip your feet into to make money in the steel plant community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's definitely worth noting about how many builders and tuners there are now and, and how that is a really great avenue. And actually, I wanted to bring up that that actually in the, in the early days was something it was it was you were considered a jack of all trades if you wanted to be involved with pan because you had to know how to build and tune them and you knew how to, had to know how to uh, write and arrange and teach and play and just do everything you had to be everything and then there are several of those people that that took the instrument to different countries and that's how they got started in Norway Sweden basically all the Scandinavian countries had individual players go there and just start up and and start working um, building their own pans and starting bands the the concept of Steel pan as an entrepreneurial instrument is absolutely, you know, uh, relevant and true and to this day and, and should continue onwards. So people have a good understanding of that and, and how it works. So at this time, we're going to go ahead and have a, a word from our sponsor and then we'll be right back. Are you a steel pan lover? A pan jumbie? Are you looking for a special gift for you and your pan jumbie friends? Panjumbiestore.com has just the thing. We have steel pan theme items specially designed with you in mind. Clothing, accessories, mugs, and even drink tumblers to hold your favorite drink at that next pan line or event. Check out Panjumbi Store at panjumbiestore.com. That's P-A-N-J-U-M-B-I-E-S-T-O-R-E.com. Panjumbiestore.com. Steel pan themed clothing and accessories for the steel band lovers worldwide. So let's talk about steel pan in pop culture. Pan has been popular in pop culture and film music for many, many years and has also been featured in many popular movies, but largely as part of a Caribbean novelty. In the last 20 years, however, it has been largely used in hip-hop music as a riff creation tool in songs like P.I.M.P. and ZZ, helping to send it in a fresh direction. While some of it is sampled, much of it is realistic enough not to come off as a novelty, but rather as a welcome sound to fit perfectly into that genre of music. Yeah, and... Uh... I think it's it's a super cool thing that steel pan has been used in that way. It's considered really, um, you know, one of the critical kind of uh, jumps, I would say, in music in terms of how it's been used in in hip hop and and not just hip hop, but uh, many other genres. Um, EDM, uh, it's big K-pop, even country music to to an extent. So you know, you hear a lot of sampling being used in those genres and, and beyond, and hopefully it continues. But I, I, I personally like to see more actual steel pan. But you know, uh, sometimes it can be kind of hard to even determine if it is a sample, and and I, and who's to say a sample isn't a real steel pan? So you know, I think if it's a synthesized or a, you know like a digital 
steel pen. But then again, maybe that would be limiting if, if you say, just don't use it. I, I'd say use every version of it so people have a better understanding and hear it in, in multiple different ways. And then it can continue in that way. I mean, you can you always use effects, an effects battle and effects boards on steel pen to, to add that dimension, even if you did it live and whatnot. Uh, I would just hope that anybody that does include steel pen uh, would actually have a real pen player on stage with them. <laughs> so just so they're not left out in the cold, you know, got to give us work to uh, professional musicians who might be listening to this. But uh, <laughs> anyway, hip hop artists and such. <laughs> so going off of that and how steel pen is used in, in pop music, um, I think it's important to know some of the emerging artists that have come out over the, you know, past, I don't know, 10, 20 years, even further back, I would say you can go back to kind of um, the contemporaries of the 80s and 90s, like uh, Robert Greenwich, uh, who's a legend in, in Trinidad, who is part of, um, he's the steel pen performer. And I think he plays a little bit of percussion as well for the uh, Jimmy Buffett's. He's one, you know, one of the most talented, brilliant players um, that's still Definitely. performing with them on the scene. And, and uh, others like Andy Norell, his brother Jeff Israel, uh, really helping to, to progress um, steel pen and, and jazz and, and even, you know, Calypso and Soka music. And their association with David Rudder and others has just been fantastic for it. Um, so that progressed up into kind of the modern era of artists like Jonathan Scales, who plays kind of like a jazz fusion mixed in with like film score style and, you know, his own unique voice and sound to Victor Provost, who does kind of some throwback kind of uh, jazz bebop along with his own really unique arrangements and, and um, original compositions. And then uh, going over to the other side of the spectrum of music to rock and roll, classic rock tunes, with Tracy Thornton and his Pan Rocks projects, which have been fantastic, where he takes you know um, players from all over the country and the world, brings them together along with some famous rock stars, and lays down some recordings of recognizable tracks, you know, from yep. Rush to Jane's uh, Addiction and, and so forth. And you know, I, I had the pleasure of being part of that, and that was fantastic. Um, and uh, and then you have other people like Andre White, who you know he does his own thing over in, in Brooklyn, New York, has a lot of American kind of R&B and, and um, hip hop influences um, as part of his compositions and arrangements. Uh, and then Bacow Rhythm and Steel Band, another one I thought I'd mention um, by Bjorn Wagner, who's out of Hamburg, Germany. He has a band that he started in his own group, his own. He does lots of covers and, and some originals of kind of, uh, it's really funk based, um, just classic 70s funk influence. And, and of course, some hip hop that's really gone viral and, and blown up through streaming services and whatnot. So you hear a variety of different genres there that are represented. And hopefully we get even more, um, you know, I mean, classical is also represented by lots of amazing and artists like Liam Teague. He, he does everything, of course, mm -hmm. but um, and he's also, you know, professor steel pen studies at um, Northern Illinois University and so many more people that I would want to mention, but I want to move on. <laughs> but, um, but in general, you know, yeah, steel pen is very well represented in, in lots of genres. And it's just fantastic to see how, how far it's come in that regard. Recording artists to live performances and such people going all over the all around the world to promote the instrument. In terms of some some notable things out of that, I would say one thing to call out I thought was really cool is that Jonathan Scales for Orchestra was featured on NPR Tiny Desk. I believe they're the only steel band with steel pan to ever been featured on that program, which is a so big far. deal. Yeah. So far, yeah, exactly. I want to hear more people, so keep pushing. And then, as I mentioned, the Cows Rhythm and Steel, they, they've been streamed on Spotify over 6 million times with a hit cover of PIMP by 50 Cent. And then a notable pianist um, out of New York is really, I think, pushing uh, a barrier when it comes to samples. Freddie Harris III, shout out to you, used in the Splice 
platform with with different samples uh, for producers to use. So you know you go on and you record your pen samples, and then you can have different people on on this website and go on and use it as a producer and put it into a song. So that's a great way to get steel pen out there as well. At this time, I'd really like to kind of go into asking the question and we're going to have a little discussion here between Sasha and myself and I'd love for anyone hearing this to, to chime in and send your questions to us. You can send it to nmag.info at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out and just send your questions in or even go on up to our, our Facebook or Instagram pages and leave some comments uh, once we post this uh, podcast. So um, my first question about the way pan is presented and, and what's good for it. One of the biggest problems in steel pan has always been that it's seen as a novelty. It's seen as this only a Caribbean instrument that can only play calypso, reggae, and so good. What can we do besides the things that I've mentioned here to continue to shed that novelty status to the public? In my personal opinion, I believe that when artists like 50 Cent and Liam T, not Liam T, um, I forgot his name, but you know when uh, these when these artists that Kodak are Black. Like, <laughs> and Kodak Black, but when these yeah. artists that have um or even BTS, when these artists oh, that yeah. have mm-hmm. like a really you know a K-pop. big following and a big platform and thing, when they use the instruments within their music, a lot of times if persons don't know what the instrument is, especially as a musician listening to another musician. I could tell you personally, if I don't recognize an instrument, I will go look up the instrumentation for that particular song. So if bigger artists, they use the instrument and a lot of people don't recognize it, more than likely they're going to check to see what that instrument is. A perfect example that I could give is me being part of this BTS fandom. Sometimes if I, you know, go on Twitter or go on TikTok and post like a K-pop cover sometimes... A lot of people probably, yeah, they would like this song, but their main interest would be, what is this instrument? I've never seen this before. You know, so even simple things like that, exposing people to the instrument with something that they're familiar with. I think that that's a step in a really good direction. And I also think um, continuing to use the pan in movies as well. You know, not just for sound effects, but we could use it in soundtracks as well. There's no always have to be a sound effect or like, you know, a novelty. Or A lot of times when I was younger, it's probably changing now, but a lot of times when I was younger, every time the pan would appear in a sitcom or a movie, it's because they were in a Caribbean scene. Right, <laughs> so they, so exactly. They set, so they set the mood by having somebody on the beach in a floral shirt playing the pan and you know that's how they that's how they would always represent the caribbean but i think it's a lot more than that you know we could go beyond that and we could really push the boundaries of the instruments and i think pretty soon it could become a mainstream instrument you know just like the guitar or the piano or the drums yeah i I agree i think it's really starting to get there um but it just uh, i think the maybe the missing ingredient that we aren't seeing is how it's portrayed in a, in a, a visual medium on TV, movies, even podcasts. I mean, just the more you see it being played physically in the style that it's being heard in, the better off you are. Because if you just hear a sample of it, you don't necessarily know what it is, especially if you're not familiar with the instrument, you never heard it before. I've, I've introduced steel pen to so many people over the years. I've been playing steel pen since, uh, I don't want to date myself, but for about 25 <laughs> years. And I've, and I've played, <laughs> I've played for a lot of people in like backyard parties and stuff. And some people like were a little familiar, but they didn't know what to call it. Or some people just had never even heard or seen it before. Maybe they'd heard it, but they just didn't know what to call it. 
So yeah. I think the more that you actually showcase it in, in a way where people can visually see it and hear it at the same time being performed in that unique way, they'll have a better understanding of it. I think as well, sometimes, well, it may be really hard to do with this um, COVID environment, but exchange programs as well might be really good. I recall a time where I had a music presentation to do. It was a pair. So me and somebody else who was in my class in high school, we were traveling, but we couldn't carry the instrument because it would have been way too expensive. And basically, when we gave presentations on the music of Trinidad and Tobago, it was to a group of Norwegian kids in Spain. And mm. they really, really enjoyed, well, besides enjoying the soca music, I think they really gravitated towards the pan, probably because it was so different to them. And they really, really enjoyed the music of the pan. And, you know, they really appreciated it. I think probably then I developed an even greater appreciation for the instrument myself by seeing how people, you know, how non-Trinidadian people or people who had never seen it before would react to it as a first impression. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. I think that's one of the most beautiful and, and amazing things about the pan is, is, is how you can use it as a cross-cultural kind of promotional tool of, of getting to know other cultures and other groups of people traveling to hang out with people that you would have never have seen or known if it weren't for the instrument yeah. and and then learning what they do with it. You know, I, I had the pleasure of going with my, uh, I, I joined an all-star band uh, when I was in high school with Chris Wabish, who is another student of Ellie Minette's who learned how to make steel pan and start programs with it. And he had a program at Long Beach Poly High School in Long Beach, California. And then I went to North Torrance High School with David Beery as my director, and they were good friends. And he said, hey, I'm going to start an all-star band with some some of my students. Do you have anybody that is interested? In? And I raised my hand and was lucky enough to be part of this band. And one of the first things we did was we went to Finland and we went and played with a Finnish steel band called Steel Band Lovers. They actually went to the World Steel Band Festival in 2000 in Trinidad. And they had a fantastic program where we got to you know hang out, um, listen to their take of, of what to do with steel pan, do concerts with them, where we did a little mini tour. I even went on to a Finnish radio station with one of the other bandmates and we talked about pan and they even asked us if we were famous i'm <laughs> like well no but <laughs> but thank you you know that was fine but it just says how you know like how it's perceived depending on where you go and you could be seen as, as the most famous person in the world if you're taking pan and, and exposing people to it i think people have that kind of reaction to something where they're seeing it for the first time but they're seeing it in this big bold exciting way with these fresh new arrangements that they've never heard before. To, to give you an idea, I would describe Chris Wabish's style as kind of, he's kind of the Frank Zappa of the steel pan, just wild, exciting arrangements uh, with a little bit of Zane and pizzazz to them, but just a lot of fun to listen to, if, especially if you've never heard pan before, you know, yeah. or if you've heard it only in one way and you're like, wow, I've never heard it like that, or I've never heard it in jazz bebop, or I've never heard it as in jazz fusion or even film score. When you when you tell people, hey, it was used in Star Wars, you know, oh, really? What what part? Oh, this? And, and they're like, well, that's what that is. Okay. Putting it in context, I think, is really important and showing it in different contexts and different cultures is, is equally important for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really applaud people that do a lot of fusion with steel pan because, you know, there are a lot of unique ideas that you could explore with the pan. It doesn't always have to be so-called calypso or Caribbean genres. It could be something completely out of the box. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and creating new genres and whatnot. And, and not to not to put mine out there, but I'm actually doing something similar that I was inspired. And I think that's the beauty of it. You know, it's like you hear somebody do something and you're inspired to try your own version of that and create your own voice. And then it's pretty soon you, you've created a new genre or subgenre that you didn't yeah. even knew, you know, would exist. Um, not to say that 
I have that, but I mean, I would definitely say that some of the players out there are, you know, bridging gaps and creating, if not a subgenre, a direction for a future subgenre that are would not have existed without them. So if you, yeah. whoever you are out there listening, whatever you're doing, keep doing it and keep pushing the boundaries because it's it's critical for innovation with steel pan. Yeah, for sure. My culture shock moment with the fusion of you know pan and other genres was the pan rocks project with Tracy mm-hmm. Thornton, because I would have never thought that you could fuse rock with steel pan. The first time I heard it, I was like, what? What is this? I was really, I was really fascinated. I was really curious at first because I was like, mm, pan in rock music. But when I actually gave it a listen, I was really, really blown away by you know, oh, yeah. what you could do with it. Yeah, and I think the biggest challenge in doing that, anybody that's listening that's interested in, in fusing steel pan with rock or with a what I would call a louder style of music where pan could get covered up is um, if you're a recording artist, record pan multiple times so that it's it's easier to hear it, just overdub the pan um, or just have multiple players on it. And, and that's why it works with pan rocks because he has a full steel band, a steel orchestra playing with it. Sometimes it's just a few players. Sometimes it's, you know, 30 to 40 to 50 players playing with a rock band. Mm. And, and that's the reason why it stands out because you're trying to compete with a, with an electric guitar, pretty much not going to compete, especially if you have a distortion on it. It's just mm-hmm. going to just overpower everything, which is why it's so difficult when you're playing a live show and you're the only pan player. Maybe you have a guitar in there, um, especially if you're playing double seconds, which has um, pretty much the same range. If you're going from a low E or even, you know, low F or low F sharp, it's, it's effectively like the same range and, and um, frequency uh, as what you would get at a guitar. So um, you're gonna you're gonna kind of um, cancel each other out, or he's he's definitely gonna win, or or she. The the guitar is gonna win over the steel pan almost every time. So you you have to find ways to kind of do that. You know, if you're playing live and it's just you, uh, lower that person in the mix, or if you're if you really want to um, you know do it right on a recording, rec- you know, overdub the pan or have multiple players. So. Um, but yeah, I agree that that's one of the coolest things that's been happening in Pan is that concept of <laughs> putting Pan with with rock music, especially since rock music, um, sadly, you know, it, it's not gone, but it's not a genre that's really, you know, innovating and putting in at the top of, you know, the the Billboard charts in, anymore. Occasionally, you'll get specific artists and stuff, I think, but I, don't, I wouldn't say necessarily that it's number one. Uh, pop music definitely is kind of taking that. Yeah. Um, away from it but the same rate pop music also uses elements of every genre i mean you're even hearing soca being used in pop music like with with sia although that was a few years ago but still you hear it in different of justin bieber use soca music i mean it's big and that's the the cool thing about pan is even if they did choose to use it in pop music in a soca style tune you're still hearing it being played with like rihanna or or someone that's going to give it a lot of exposure definitely <laughs> Well, I think uh, I think that kind of wraps up the discussion that we've had on this and and where Pan is today and uh, the direction that it's headed in. So, what we'll do, you know, in future episodes is is continue on with specific topics and have some guests and have some more fun with it and, and kind of uh, explore all the different possibilities of the world of steel pan. Yeah. So we really hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Strike Up Podcast, and we invite you to comment on the Pan Magazine Facebook page our Instagram, and our main website, pan-mag.com. That is pan-mag.com. We are eager to know what you thought of this topic and ideas for future topics are also welcome. Yeah. Special thanks goes out to Andre White for recording such an amazing intro for our podcast. Thank you so much again for joining our podcast and stay tuned for the next episode soon. (laughs) 